Uh, turn me to Ephesians chapter 2. We finally have to stand in God's honor. This is the last message in this series, But God. And uh, we've been talking about how God works in the lives of others in the scriptures. Today, we're going to see how he works in our lives. Ephesians 2. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. God, your word speaks to each of us. For uh, We all go this direction, Lord. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. We come to you um, knowing how desperately we need you this morning. How, Father, we were without light. And only in Christ Jesus is there the kind of light that we so desperately need. And so, word of God, speak. Um, we want to hear from you. Lord, sometimes I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed that you have blessed me with an opportunity to, to do this, uh, to speak. And Father, to allow you to speak. And so I just ask, help me get out of the way. And so Jerry Hyder likes to pray, Lord, get me out of your way so that I'll be in your will. I want to pray that here, Lord. Speak to our hearts. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. These verses deal with the concept of, of life. Spiritual life. But, you know, I, I thought about just life, how it begins and how it starts. And there's a picture up here I asked the guys to, uh, to put up um, a couple of months ago. And this goes back to before we were here. One of our daughter's best friends at the church we were at before we came here. Well, this is her babies. She had twins. They were four months old. Her sister was getting married, and she needed a place just to get a little bit of rest uh, before the wedding ceremony. And, and she came by our house, and we got to spend some time with these four-month-old four twins at the time they were there. And boy, it's been a while since I held one that small. And it's just amazing. I was sitting there 
baby's looking at me and I'm looking at the baby and, and you just think about how helpless the little baby is. I mean, they're dependent for someone to do everything. And about all they can do is try to focus on your eyes. And of course, they're really looking to the eyes of mom, I'm sure, <laughs> to look into. And, and then, you know, some time passes and they're able to do a, a few other things. They, they begin to, you know, speak some, they make some sounds and then they have some one-syllable words. And of course, we're all listening, hoping it's going to be, you know, mom, mom, or, or dad. You know, something like that. And and so, you know, and then afterward, they finally get to a point where, you know, they hopefully say one of those or speak another word. And, and then they can say some more complex words like farmer. I'm still trying to get the farmer. Uh, and, and, and then they move. You know, at first you're holding them. They can't move at all. Then, then they get to where they can crawl and, and, then, and then stand and, and then it's like, oh my, will I ever catch them? You know, once they get to moving, and, and, and then they begin to grow, and, and, and you know, teach them how to ride a bike, and then before you know it, they're learning how to drive a car. And then you think, oh, they're going to leave, and they've been with me all this time, and I don't know how to say goodbye, and yet you realize that your whole job really was to prepare them for that moment when it's time for them to be able and when we come into the faith in Christ Jesus, the Bible says that we were like babies, like spiritual infants, start out with milk, but we're not to stay there. I mean, how weird would it be if your kid was 25 years old and he was still saying, goo goo go go, and dada, and mama. I mean, you know, there's got to be some growth. And it's true in the spiritual life, too. There has to be growth in order to have this life that uh, the Scripture calls more abundantly or more meaningful life. It, it requires a walk with God that, that brings some growth. And, and I looked up, this is from the Pew Research Center, gave some disturbing statistics. And this was like eight years ago. So this has changed, I'm sure. But it's said that 35% of Americans read their Bibles once a week. So we have 65 that don't read their Bibles even once a week. It's really hard to grow in your faith if you're not spending any time with the Master. And you do that when you read His Word. Um, four in ten Christians say the Bible's text is the Word of God. So even those of us who are in church and who identify ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, only four out of ten say that this book is divine from God. And then there's 36% that say, well, we're not even sure really how to interpret this book. We're not really sure what it means. And then there's another 18% that says, well, this book is just a bunch of stories that have been, this is in the church, <laughs> that have been put together by people who wrote this. There was really no divine connection. 
how can we really experience the power of God in the church when more than half of us don't really trust what God has said to us? That's some tough stuff. Here's the one that really got me in this poll. It said 43% of Americans can't even name the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God wants to do a lot more in our lives. You know, as we've looked at the But God sermons, different ones, we've looked at a whole bunch of uh, different battles, uh, uh, the battle against death and evil and, and hate and judgment and failure and running from God, the messiness of families and uncertain futures. And today we look at the importance of a real relationship with God. He loves us so much that he wants us to know. I thought this week, uh, this little saying just occurred to me. We often think, well, I won't say we think. I just don't know if we really realize the depth of how he wants to walk with us moment by moment. And sometimes we see salvation as this event that occurs and then it's over. Well, I got saved and I can rest in that and I don't really have to worry about anything else. But our God Here's what I thought of, the little saying I thought of. God didn't save us to be done with us, but to be one with us. And there's such a difference. He didn't save us, okay, I'm done with that. He's going to heaven. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Whatever he wants to do, just let him do it. That's not God's thinking. He didn't save you to be done with you. He saved you to be one with you. To have a connection with you that is vital. And we're going to look at... Uh, our four words this morning as we march down through this text. Wandering, waking, watching, working. And so as we jump in here, wandering from God, look at verse 1. He says, as for you, and, and that's all of us. Really, this text applies to every believer in Christ Jesus. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, transgressions are deliberate Deliberate disobedience. It, it's a willful way of saying no to God. And of course, when we go in the scriptures, we go all the way back to the beginning and the forbidden fruit <laughs> and that willful act of disobedience of taking the bite of the forbidden fruit, intentionally disobeying. And he says here, we are all guilty of those transgressions against him. Someone has said, you can put a person in school, but they'll just come out a well-educated sinner. And, and you can put a person in therapy, but they'll just come out a well-adjusted sinner. And you can put a person in church, and they'll just come out a religious sinner. But it's only in Christ that they come out a redeemed sinner. And there's just no other way. Remember when the forbidden fruit was chomped on, that first bite, what came? Death. Spiritual death came. It tells us in Romans chapter 5 that through the one man, through Adam and, and, and through Eve, through, through those first bites of the fruit, the forbidden fruit, sin entered all people's lives. We were dead in our sins, and sin is missing the mark. So you have the deliberate action and you have just the fact that we are broken. We're messed up 
because of the sin in our lives. So we're not walking with God. Someone has said that if you look on the battlefield of soldiers who lay on the battlefield, those corpses are dead. They're decaying at a different rate, but they're dead. They're all dead. Reminded me of man, one of my favorite movies, which I need to go back and see the whole thing now. Just watch a clip on YouTube and try and remember this clip. It was where they went in to see Miracle Max, one of their friends who they just knew was dead. Miracle Max looks at him. He says, oh, he's only mostly dead. And everybody knows there's a big difference between mostly, being mostly dead and all dead. And they asked him, well, Miracle Max, what's the difference? And he said, if you're all dead, there's only one thing left to do. Well, what's that? He said, well, go through their clothes and look for loose change. And the Bible says we were all dead spiritually. There was no spiritual life in us. And notice as the text goes on, it, it tells us that in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. There was a wandering within us to, to find meaning. Um, there was one commentator who said um, you could use this word wandering or browsing. And they used the example of going into a store. We've all kind of been guilty of this. You walk in a store and you intend to buy one thing, and before you know it, you come out with a shopping cart full of stuff that you didn't intentionally start to buy. You know, the old days, I would say I went in thinking I might spend $20 and, you know, come out with $50 worth of stuff. Well, let's at least double that now, it looks like. When I go into the store, I'm just always amazed at how much I spend. But it's this picture of, of browsing and, and ending up where you with a cart full of stuff you didn't intend to buy. And, and, it's, and you go around, you're browsing, you're looking for meaning in this life, looking for what matters, and you look in all the wrong places. <laughs> and you come out beaten up because instead of looking in the one place that matters, which is the Lord God, you're hurt because you looked in those other places. The scripture says we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. I couldn't help but think of that famous hymn by Robert Robinson, a Methodist preacher. He wrote this when he was 20 years old, um, but there's a line in it. The song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. I always think of this. <laughs> Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's, if we're honest, guys, that's where we are. We have not arrived, even those of us who want to walk with Christ, but we know that prone to wander. And the next step, thank you, Lord, waking to God. Look at verses 4 and 5. It's great stuff. He says, But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. There it is, you know. The but God comment. There I love it. Because it tells us there in verse 4. But because of his great love for us. God. And, and, and I've said this through several messages. But I just quote it again. James Montgomery Boyce. He said if we understood those two words. But God. They will save your soul. And Martin Lloyd-Jones said. 
These two words in and of themselves contain the whole gospel of Christ. And, you know, and I'll just add to that, and it's our story. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, but God, those two words mean everything. Because if God had not opened our eyes, we would still be in the dark. We would still be blind. We would still be without hope. For me, it was coming back as a teenager from a Christian camp at um, 15 and a half years old. And a guy next to me from my youth group shared with me about Christ. And, you know, as the old saying goes, I heard the gospel, I heard the gospel, I heard the gospel. And then one day I heard the gospel. And it was that day that I was able to really hear the gospel. It says that it's because of God's mercy, his great mercy. I, I thought of Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions Never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In other translations, it talks about his mercies being new every morning. Man, his mercies are inexhaustible. His great love we can't possibly fully fathom. And I believe, I'll talk about this a little bit later, we'll be spending all of eternity just worshiping the one who is beyond our comprehension for what he's done for us, but just for who he is. Proverbs 19.22 says, What a man desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. And the power of this idea of but God is that he has expressed to us his great love that we cannot possibly fully grasp or understand, but who cares? It belongs to us because of the love displayed on Calvary by Christ Jesus and what he has fully done to give us that incredible hope. And, and I, I love the fact that in the text, he, he makes it clear to us that in this powerful work, he made us alive when we were dead. So, so he, he awakened us how did, how did he, when we were dead. Now, we're not talking here about mere resuscitation. Resuscitation means that you're sick, that you're knocked out, that you're asleep, and maybe I just need to slap you. <laughs> Wake up! Let's get on it! But it says not that you were resuscitated. Guys, we were resurrected. Big difference. It's not enough if you're religious to be more religious, to just wake up and to do more. We were dead in our sins, in our transgressions. And he literally resurrected. I love one of my favorite verses. This is Romans 8, 11. It says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The very resurrection power of Jesus resurrected you when you encountered Jesus, when you met him. When he grabbed hold of your heart, made you conscious that you were dead, and then he made you alive. And that's our story. That's our story. We need more than to be resuscitated. We need to be resurrected. We need to personally meet Jesus Christ. And you see, God loved us even when we were dead in our sins. I love that Romans 5.80 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to cling to that. Or you go up a couple of verses, Romans 5, 6. He says, but when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Man, that's, that's the love. That's the power of God, what he does. Notice uh, down to verse 6, he says, 
He raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Next verse, he says that in the ages to come, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And I love it. There's many times, one, um, many, many times where he says in Christ. Paul does in his letters. That we are in Christ. And I love it here in verse 6 that, that he raised us up together and he made us sit together in heavenly places. And what he's saying is positionally in Christ, you are saved. You're saved. Sins forgiven. Safe in the fact that no one can rip you out of the Father's hand. John 10, 28, 29. Safe in the fact that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 8, 38, 39. You are saved. That's what it means to sit positionally. I know we're sitting at Kingsway Baptist Church this morning, but he's saying it's not just physically at this moment where you are sitting, but the fact that positionally you are sitting safe with Jesus for all of eternity. And he talks about the ages to come. That's what we have to look forward to even beyond this moment where we're sitting physically, we're sitting positionally with him, and one day we will be there in his presence with him for all of that time in worship. And it won't be boring for all that time. As a matter of fact, he goes on to indicate to us that we should be watching, watching for his return. It says, in order that in the coming ages that he'll show us that inexpressible love. It's expressed to us in Christ. And, and we're looking for that. In Titus chapter 2, he says, for the blessed hope. We, we wait eagerly for that to occur. That he ransomed himself for us and we will be with him face to face. We will see him we will be directly within his presence. I love it, Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven where we eagerly await a Savior from there, Christ Jesus. That, that is what we wait for. That is what we hope for. Um, you know, do you, do you have a hope uh, for your heavenly home? Once Jesus begins to stir within us who he is and what he has done for us and what he is able to do through us, it gives us a a sense of anticipation of what he has waiting for us. And so there's a natural desire to watch for him, especially when we get down and we feel defeated and beat up. We know the truth of the fact of the matter is that he has something for us, something that we can look for expectantly. I love what the old Scotchman, uh, Duncan Matheson, used to say, Lord, stamp eternity on me eyeballs. What a great prayer, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs so that I can see not merely what I see here, but I can see when the village comes, what awaits, what awaits me uh, in his love. Uh, C.S. Lewis, when he was teaching at Oxford University, said this to a class. He said, a continual looking forward to the eternal world it's not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. It's one of the great things a Christian's meant to do, 
If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most of the next. And it's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. And one final thought. And the verses that remain 8 through 10 is working. Working for him. Uh, First, it shows us what he saved us from. As we look in those verses, many of us have quoted many times verses 8 and 9, where it's by grace you've been saved. Through faith, this is not from yourselves, the gift of God. It's a gift. It's not a wage. It's not something we've earned. It's something he earned for us. As a matter of fact, next verse he says, not by works so that no one can boast. There will be no boasting in heaven. Thank you, Lord. One of the hardest things to do is sit in a room and listen to somebody boast. I get the flesh in me sometimes. I just... But guess what? I've been guilty of it too. And no one's going to be able to boast. We're not going to go up to heaven and we meet Jesus and... There's not going to be a line of people saying, well, the Son of God really preferred me. And there's just no doubt about it. Let me give you my resume. It's very impressive. Are you kidding me? None of that's going to happen up there. It's by grace. And we just believe that through faith. We just trusted God. We just said, God, you're it. (laughs) You're the hope, the inexhaustible grace of God. That's you. And that's where I put my trust. And, and so, he saved us. He saved us. But not only has he done a work for us, he does a work through us. In verse 10, it says, we're his workmanship. It's the very word that we get our word poem from. We are his masterpiece. And I mean, the truth is, we all know it. We're a masterpiece in construction. Usually we don't think about that with masterpieces. He's always repainting and he's always uh, re-sculpturing and doing some work. And I love it. In Philippians 1.6, he says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus as he continues to do that work. There's a story of uh, Michelangelo. He he had a big rock, and he had his hammer and his chisel, and he was was hitting this rock, and a guy comes around and says, man, what are you doing? It's just a rock. He said, I'm liberating the angel hidden within. Man, that's what God's doing in us. He is making us into the image of Christ. And he's chipping away at those areas that need his liberation and his work. Um, think of it this way. If a surgeon can operate in a jungle with a pocket knife, he's a pretty good surgeon. Or if a builder can build a home with an old hammer and a built hands, bent handsaw, he's a masterful builder. And if a guy with a bamboo flute can play Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, man, he's a gifted musician. 
And if God can change the world through once dead people, who he has now brought life to, and people who are disobedient, transgressors, and still just mess it up, he can change the world through us. And he can do anything. And the truth of the matter is, he has. So, anyway, I, I bring this up as we close out this series. Remember the Apostle Paul? He was Saul, and his quest was to wipe out those who believed in the way. We know them today as Christians. He wanted to wipe out that new group of people. And so, you know, it says that he was there when Stephen was stoned to death. He, it, it says that he was preparing to go see because he'd got some inside information of some of these people that he wanted to see suffer. And he was headed to make some of that happen. He was on the Damascus Road. And suddenly, he was blinded on the ground. And two questions emerged, and there are still two questions that everyone has to deal with today. First thing he asked was, Lord, who are you? He's blind, he's on the ground. And can you imagine how he felt when he heard, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting? We all have to, we all have to deal with that question. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is he to you? Is he the only one who can offer you hope and a new start and forgiveness of sin? That's what's proclaimed in this passage that we were dead in our transgressions and sins and the life we used to live following that spirit that was disobedient. But because of his great love and, and his mercy, he he. He changed all that. He, he saved. And then there's the second question. <laughs> Lord, what would you have me to do? Great question, too. Are you already in God's family? Are you listening to his voice? Are you asking him? Have you asked him, Lord, what do you want me to do? I know you want me to do more than just sit in this hour. What would you have me to do? Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for your powerful truth, Lord. We all start at the same place. And it's not where we should be. But you changed that in what you accomplished on the cross. And So, Father, um, what do you want to do this morning? Maybe someone here has heard you. Say, I came to forgive you. I came to make it right, all the wrongs. I came to give you a, a new chance. Father, speak to someone. May they just trust you this morning and receive your forgiveness. A new start you want them to have. Lord, we ask for that to occur. And for those of us who are already in the faith in Christ Jesus, what do you want us to do for you? What do you want next in our lives? Lord, we don't want to live on old crusty manna. We want the fresh bread of your calling. 
what he wants for us with an altar that is open. Lord, may we come. And, and maybe if we don't walk up here and kneel at the altar, may our lives reflect it. Even though we stand to sing, speak to us, Lord, that we may hear what you want next. So, Father, may we deal with those questions. Who are you, Lord Jesus? And what do you want me to do, Lord Jesus? And may you work through us in this time we call invitation. In Christ's name.